Adventure is an attitude. You know, sometimes when you face plant on the gravel, it dulls the excitement, <laughs> uh, for instance. Um, but you got to get back up and ride that bike home anyway. Uh, yeah, tough times. Uh, but as a young dad, I had Mondays off. And Heather worked on the opposite Mondays. And so a few times a month, it was adventure day with dad. <laughs> uh, it, it started with Kyler and then with Max. Um, and I would say, where are my adventure boys? Where are my adventure boys? And I'm like, okay, I'm ready for an adventure. Let's go, let's go. An adventure boy is ready to trust dad to bring about some serious fun and exploration. And that's what an adventure boy is. So we got any adventure boys here today? Um, you're up for whatever, right? A new park or a, or a mountain or go visit with some friends or a playground or grandparents or, or whatever, right? Up for whatever. They didn't always act like adventure boys, neither did I. And so we need to head home sometimes. But most of the time, they were up for it, right? They had a childlike trust. Well, they were children and they trusted their dads. Are you ready, guys? Are you ready? Are you in? Yeah, ready, set, go, right? And I want you to think about that. Do you have that kind of trust in Jesus? Ready, set, go. If he says we're heading out, I want to be there. Is that where you're at? Think about that. Ready, set, go. Is that, is that where you're at? This book of Acts that we're just starting to explore now is a ready, set, go account of what Jesus continued to do through those who trusted him. He continued this process through those who trusted him. Uh, the story actually continues. His work didn't stop. He just took a new seat. Uh, right next to the Father, and now he's directing everything. The story continues to this day in the actions of Jesus through his people. So if you've been waiting in the harbor, hoist the sails and catch the wind. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. If you look to Luke 1, 1, you'll see that, that he's ready to open up his gospel with this just large uh, sentence about how, how God is, is, uh, has done these great things, and he has searched out and made an eyewitness account, and now he's doing that. That was Luke in the book, the Gospel of Luke. And now he, he continues it on. This is, this is part two to someone named Theophilus. And the way he presents his research is something that you can trust. It's, uh, it's something that the, the hearers in the Mediterranean in the first century would know. Okay, I'm listening to a serious, well-researched piece of work. And it's written to Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. Now the word Theophilus, uh, just Theos is God and Phileo is love. And, and so it's a lover of God. This could be, um, this could be his, his real name. This could be, um, this could be a, a, an individual who maybe gave money to Luke so he could research this and compile all this stuff because writing wasn't cheap uh, back then. And nor was research and travel. So... Uh, so, it, you know, it was probably one guy named Theophilus, but I want you to think about this. It, it was written also to all of the Theophiluses, Theophili, <laughs> all of those lovers of God. Are you 
one of those lovers of God who are ready to receive this account, the acts of, of Jesus by his spirit through his disciples. It says he had given orders to, by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The apostle is, is the, the, the disciple who is now sent. So it's sent out. And to the same apostles, it says he, he also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. After Jesus' suffering, after his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection, he appeared to many, uh, all of the disciples, um, we see that 500 at once were appeared to. He, he showed them many convincing proofs. Did they doubt? Well, yeah, they doubted. What does this mean? Why did our Messiah, the one who was supposed to come and be like the King David, the new King David, the son of King David, the one who was going to come and trample down our enemies, why did he have to be trampled down? That makes no sense to us. And then he's dead and buried and then risen and alive and what kind of body is this the body that can eat fish and eat food with them but also walk through walls this transhuman body this beyond human body and so many convincing proofs he, he allowed himself to be touched so jesus wants to be seen and touched and even handled right just handled over over those many days i love what willie james jennings says he he talks about how from the very beginning from mary's touch of her child through the crowds that pressed in to grasp hold of his healing body to the brutal hands of the roman military committed to practices of torture to this moment when disciples confused fearful unclear of the future needed to hear the words of jesus hear and now you can touch me, Jesus says. And Jesus always presents himself to be touched. Boy, in a year where we haven't been touched much, have we? Not so many hugs, not so many um, embraces. We have, we have languished in that. Some of you, uh, some of you have liked, like, nobody touches me, everybody stays away. Um, but like me, you know, I'm like, I'm looking for my hugs every day in my family and, and uh, looking for, for, for that, that, that safe but and appropriate but touch right just just the the hugs and um, and that's what disciples are supposed to be right uh, Willie James Jennings goes on and said Jesus presents to his disciples a way through the fear of death by simply touching him it'll be the way of his disciples disciples must touch and be touched <laughs> so we need to step into that. Uh, Jesus, Jesus made himself available to people in that way to, to remove their doubts. And I think that's one of the ways we can remove doubts, too, is through appropriate but, but meaningful um, touch. <laughs> and it says he was speaking about the kingdom of God starting right there in Jerusalem. The kingdom of God. Uh, God was becoming king again, right? He was becoming king again. It says, while he was with them, he declared, don't leave Jerusalem. Okay, stick around. But wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. There's been a promise that's coming. You've heard about it from me. For John baptized with water, 
was restarting this movement saying, come get clean, get ready, prepare the way. God is going to come and be king and you need to be ready for that. So he, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, think about the anticipation there. Wow. You, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, they knew when the, the they knew what happens when the Spirit comes on a person. We see, they have the Hebrew Scriptures. They've looked and and when the Spirit would come upon a group, maybe the whole group would prophesy, or maybe uh, maybe they would be filled with incredible amounts of strength to be able to accomplish deeds, um, to be able to to speak utterances, to 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 know what God had to say. I mean, the the Spirit of power is going to be on them. And it, but he says, wait in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the growing kingdom. It's centered there. God has become king again on the earth. And he's taking back the nations. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus preached. He lived and he began. He started. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. He preached it. Taught it. He, he showed it. All of his parables were about this, this growing kingdom that's starting and it's having its, its effect now. And, and the first fruits of, of the harvest of that kingdom was Jesus when he raised from the dead. And Jerusalem is the city of God, the domain of God, where God placed his name. The same God who has a rightful claim to all the nations and he's taking them back. Jerusalem is, is important because it's going to be the beachhead from which all those other nations are reclaimed. So it starts in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem for this promise. So what, what is this promise? What, what, what are we talking about? The, the promise of the Father that Jesus was talking about. Well, it was the Spirit, right? He mentions that, but, but it goes all the way back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. God says, I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel. After I plant them back in the land, okay, planting a new, a new garden, a new Eden, right? I'm going to plant them back in the ground, says the Lord. I will make my law within them and write it on their hearts and on their minds. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, Jeremiah is talking to a group that had been ejected from the land, lost in the desert, in Babylon, um, and, and the northern tribes in Assyria. I mean, they have, they have been scattered. And now God says, I'm going to make a covenant with them. And I'm going to put my law within them. Okay. In Ezekiel chapter 11, we have a, a, a widening of this picture. Verse 17 through 20, he says to Ezekiel, say this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I regather you. When I, when I regather you from the peoples and assemble you from the lands where you've been dispersed, I will give you back the country of Israel. When they return to it, they will remove from it all of its detestable things and all of its abominations. I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. I'll remove the hearts of stone from their bodies. And I will give them tender hearts so that they may follow my statutes and observe my regulations and carry them out. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. The, the, 
people, the disciples, the Israelites were expecting this move of God where he would come once again and be with his people, right? Jesus described this, the kingdom of God coming, coming in. And, and so there's those grand expectation. Um, you know, back to Acts 1. So, they, so when they gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? Are we going to have Judah and Benjamin, who are now just called Judah, um, the two tribes, and then are they going to be combined again with the ten tribes? What is this going to look like? Is this the time that you're going to you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we ready to to rule and reign as as with God as King? And and Jesus has a a little bigger picture in mind, a little bigger bigger picture. But what they're what they're thinking about is Ezekiel chapter thirty six. Uh, 22 through 28, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake that I'm about to act, O house of Israel, but it's actually for my sake, for the sake of my holy reputation, which you have ruined. You've profaned among the nations where you went. I will magnify my great name that has been profaned among the nations, that you have profaned among them. Yeah, God is like, you're my people called by my name and you have shown the nations that that is worthless and trash. And, and I want you to think about that. Has the name of Jesus been drugged through the mud? Yes. Recently in this last year? Yes. By um, well-known and respected Christian leaders? Yes. Is God willing to restore his name? Will he magnify his name? Yes. Is it for our sake? No. It is for the sake of his name. And so, so he's talking about this now. He says, the nations will know that I am Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. When I magnify myself among you in their sight, he says, I will take you from the nations. Here, that's that same picture. I will gather you from all the countries. And then I will bring you to your land. I will sprinkle you with pure water. And you will be clean from all your impurities. Sprinkle you with water. We see John the Baptist doing this, right? I'll sprinkle you with water. I, I will purify you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. Then you will live in the land I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. The next passage in chapter 37 is the dry bone, the lost tribes of Israel, Judah, coming together as one. It's part of this, is this big process. They're going to be made clean so that God can now dwell among them and even in them as a people. John had his baptism, his beginning to those who repented, who said, okay, I want to be a part of the kingdom. Remember what, what John would say? He would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's happening. Uh, and, and it was being baptized. It was a decision that they made. I'm going to be ready to, to receive the kingdom of God. But what changed the person's heart wasn't the water baptism. It was going to be the spirit that indwelled them, that took those dry bones and put sinews on them and then wrapped them in flesh and then skin and got us walking. So I want you to think about this. If your spiritual life feels like a pile of dry bones right now, take a moment. Ask him to revive you. Now, now chest compressions aren't going to do if, if you're a pile of dry bones, right? You need to, you need to have, have new life just woven into you. 
Ask him to revive you, to resurrect you. If your story is one of those, which I know so well, uh, where you've rejected God's moves in your life, like, well, I'd like to have faith, but I kind of want to do my own thing anyway. If you've been rejecting God's moves, then repent. Turn around. Your mind, your heart, your body, turn around. Agree. I've been deadened by my own desires. Now, it's true you've been lied to by, by our nation, by our Western society. They said, just look inside. You'll find true life. Just express who you are. Everything's going to be great. False. Repent. You are not God. You are not the Lord of your life. Agree that you've been deadened by your desires. The pleasures you've sought out have actually ruined your taste buds. You, and so you need, you need revival. You need God to, to do a new thing in you. Ask for forgiveness. Confess, Jesus, you are Lord. The, your life, death, burial, resurrection, um, your, your ascension, your teachings are, are what I need to wrap my life around. I am allegiant to you. I, I am going to trust you as Lord. Uh, come alive. Come alive. He goes on in, in chapter 1 here of Acts. He told them, you're not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. You know, when the kingdom's going to come and, and how it's going to look, what it looks like to be restored to Israel, or maybe expanded, yeah, beyond just Israel as the people of God, but the true people of God brought in from all these nations. Because look, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the region, the, uh, the tribe around Jerusalem, and Samaria, and to the farthest places of the earth. So Jerusalem is the former capital of all the 12 tribes under King David. But, but Samaria was the capital of the 10 tribes uh, when they separated from uh, from David and David's line and had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And and we'll see in Acts chapter 2 a regathering of all the tribes um, into Yahweh's family, even even to the farthest parts of the earth. In fact, this this verse, Acts 1.8, is kind of the thesis statement. It's the trajectory of this entire book of Acts. starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And that's where we are at the ends of the earth. I think a lot of times we think, we well, know, we're the center of Christianity. <laughs> False. Or maybe you think, you know, U.S. is, yeah, we're, you know, we're Christian, right? I think, right? Aren't we? And, uh, you know, we send all these missionaries, aren't we kind of the, the center, the focus of God's, no. Or maybe it was Europe, Reformation, and, and, and you know, Western Europe, and no, it's, it's actually Jerusalem. <laughs> that's, that's the center. But what we're learning from this is that, that God is the God of the nations, not a God bound to our nation. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God is the God of Iran. We're the, we're the fastest growing Christian church is right now. Jesus is the Lord of China, where Christianity is being persecuted um, and being clamped down on. He, he's, he's, the, he's the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of Myanmar. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities on the cross. And he is taking back his land. Bringing them under the rulership of God. The kingdom of God. 
removing the dark powers. You've heard these stories, right? When, when they go into these places, these power encounters with the forces of darkness, and, and Jesus's people have been able to trample on the serpents, as it were, and, and destroy the works of the darkness, and you see the church arise. In Haiti, one of the churches that we support through GVCM, there was a voodoo priest who just recently came to Christ, just renounced his ways, renounced all the dark powers, and said, I serve Jesus now, right? When, when Jesus is the Lord of Haiti, and yes, he's the Lord of the United States of America, because by right, he is absolutely Lord of all. And, and one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But he's not bound to the U.S. He's our God. Our God's bigger than your God. No, now, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he is Lord of all. In fact, after he had said this, in Acts chapter 1, he said this, they, while they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud hid them from their sight. And, and they were still staring into the sky while he was going and suddenly two men in white clothing, right, angels, uh, stood near him and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up to the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So he's <laughs> he's leaving, but he's gonna he's gonna be re he returning. Don't just stand around and look. He's coming back. It's been two thousand years, and we haven't seen him come back yet. But there's still a, a waiting and anticipation, isn't it? But I think we need to think like a first century person about the heavens and the earth. Right, what's up there and what's down here? Uh, we we need to kind of remove from our mindset the modern understanding of planets and solar systems and all that kind of stuff. He's not. He's not exiting our atmosphere, right, and going to a distant planet. Besides, he'd 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 be uh, he probably wouldn't even make it to the next uh, planet by now. And it's just not the way it is. And he'd die of oxygen loss, right? This is this isn't the thing. Uh, what we're seeing here is their perception of of God's space up here and our space down here. And now Jesus has transcended; he's ascended into God's space. So think more. Uh, dimensional than directional. He's now he's now in God's space. Think about that. He's not actually more distant now. He's actually present for the worldwide expansion of the kingdom of God. <laughs> he's more present everywhere because he's he's not just located in Jerusalem anymore. He's he's in that space where he can interact with you directly, with me directly, in Haiti, in the Philippines. And he's he's the Lord of all. He's got the best overwatch position as he prays for his church and, and leans into it. So the angel said, why are you standing around? Wait, uh, wait for the spirit, right? Why are you standing around? <laughs> he says, you're going to get real power, Jesus says. And he says, my power. Then you can live in anticipa anticipation of my return by witnessing to me in the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus' story is continuing. He is the God-man, right? Think about that. He's the God-man. 100% God, 100% human. God-man. He's the heaven and earth man. He's he's transcends those boundaries. His body is now in heaven, which is God's space, that other dimension. And his body is here on earth, the body of Christ. See, he means us, he means us to be the God-man people, the heaven and earth people. 
His story is, is meant to continue in the story of the church. His body is right here. So think about this. This is a big, this is a big story shift for you, maybe. But, but the church is the new heaven-earth reality, the temple space, the place where, where it's kind of thin between God's space and our space, right? The body of Christ. We're also called priests in the temple, and we're also the temple, right? So, so we are the, those people. So as we just try to take these first 11 verses and try to apply them right now, I just want you to think about two, two items to focus on. One is just to wait for the Spirit. What does that mean, to wait for the Spirit? And then witness by the Spirit. So waiting and witnessing, right? So why wait for the Spirit? Why, why wait for the Spirit? Uh, well, you wait for the power. It says that, for the power. And you say, well, actually, I, I got coffee. I'm fine. Um, I don't need power to live out my daily life, really. I've got this just fine. And by fine, you mean boring, unfulfilling, anxiety-producing, busy, you know, fine. Besides, you might say, the kind of stuff I do is just around the house, you know. Or, you know, what I'm doing is it's kind of dog-eat-dog business stuff. It's not really Jesus stuff. Or it's, it's blue-collar work, you know. And, and it's, it's I'm, I'm among, you know, some, some people who, you know, we just get it done and we, we make, make a difference in the world. And, or it's technology stuff. Man, we're cutting edge and we're doing all this kind of stuff. And, and it's not like it's sacred, holy Jesus kind of stuff. Why, why would I need the power? Lean in. Aren't you the same person that was just telling me that you don't see God moving in your life? Aren't you the same person that told me, yeah, I don't really have very many conversations about Jesus. They just don't, they just don't come up. Do you need the power? Seriously. Are, are you satisfied with kind of what you got going on? I didn't think so. So why wait for the Spirit? For the power. Now, what does waiting for the Spirit look like now? Because you were going to see this in chapter 2, the Spirit came, right? So now waiting for the Spirit looks like walking in the Spirit. Waiting for the Spirit looks like walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm a power walker when my knees work, and Heather's a power walker. Um, and we take it pretty seriously, we, and we keep pace really well together. It's a 14-minute mile. That's what we do. Boom, boom, boom. Our kids, not so much. A few weeks ago, um, Heather and I were, were walking down with our kids at the beach at Westport, and uh, we just left Alex and Ella far behind. Um, they were enjoying the beach, <laughs> finding things, sauntering, actually a much better way to do things. Uh, it was not a fitness walk for them. Um, they had walked a mile by the time we had walked to the two-mile mark and had caught back up with them. And they wanted to walk with us, which I was like really sweet. It's like, oh, hey, kids, what's up? Hugs. Keep going. Let's go. Keep walking. And uh, as, as, as we turned to approach to finish the mile together, and they were like quickly outpaced and left behind again. And they shared some some kind, if, if a little sarcastic, complaints about, well, we're here to walk with you guys, you know? And so we were like, well, catch up, that's fine. Come on, keep pace. And they, <laughs> but they weren't trying to have a jog on the beach. <laughs> they did not want to keep up in that way. So Heather and I got our exercise and missed out on the sauntering. Uh, we, we made that up at a different time. 
because um, because it's it's it was definitely just not the time because uh, we had a goal we were going to finish it. But I find this about the spirit: sometimes the spirit has a pace very different than my own. Sometimes, actually, it's almost never my comfortable pace. There's always a get up, it's time to go, and there's always a slow down. Now, more and more and more, I want to walk in pace. I want to keep the pace. I, I want to go no faster and no slower, right? Keeping in pace with the Spirit. I think that's part of growing in Christ. I want to do that more and more and more. Spirit, am I, am I going too fast? Spirit, am I going too slow? Spirit, do you just need me to rest? Yes, it's your Sabbath. Just rest. Spirit, do you need me to get up and go? Yes, right now. It's time to go. But keeping pace, hear me, is, is different than keeping in line and keeping the rules. Now, the Holy Spirit will make us holy people. And so that work, he, he's going to write that on our hearts. And so we need to, to be present with him and say no to the things he says no to and say yes to the things he says yes to. But keeping in pace and keep it, walking with the Spirit, finding that power is, is different than just keeping the rules. Uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, just this last week, I got a note through our church Facebook um, from a guy. And he said, uh, hey, I've, I'd like, I need to talk to somebody. And so um, I gave him a call. And he had a huge story with a ton of complicating factors. And, and it just kind of went on. Um, and, and I was like, wow, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. And it, it was just really heavy type of story. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I help out? Um, have you ever had one of those conversations where you're just, there's a lot of complicating factors. You're not sure, uh, what you can do. Well, let, let me coach you a bit because while you're talking with somebody else, you can be talking with God. When you know this, because you have thought life while you're talking, right? So keep that as a prayer life while you're talking. This is this is a, a good a good approach. So what I was doing was saying this, Jesus, what do you want out of this conversation? What can I learn? What can I offer? When should I stop and listen? When should I speak up? Right. I was able to assist him in a small way and got to spend some time with him on Tuesday. And guess what? Guess what my inner prayer was the whole time? <laughs> Jesus, what do you want out of this new conversation? Uh, what can I learn? What can I offer? When should I stop and listen? When should I speak up? That's walking in the Spirit. I helped a little bit, but I learned a ton. I, I was genuinely interested. Like, okay, tell me more about this part of your story because I think that intersects with my story in this way. And oh, that's something I needed to learn. And, and so waiting for the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, keeps you in step with the Spirit, keeps you empowered because we're living out the story of Jesus right now. So walking by the Spirit and then witness by the Spirit, right? You will be witnesses. So what's a witness? What goes into the preparation for a witness? Well, hopefully, at one level, not a lot of preparation. <laughs> you don't want a coached witness or you're going to have a thrown trial, right? You don't want a coached witness. You don't want, uh, you don't want the witnesses to get together and what's our story? At one level, witness is just a simple thing. You say what you saw. You describe what happened. And witnesses are crucial. Now, 
Um, in late November, my son Max got in a car wreck. He was T-boned in an intersection. And it was pretty, uh, pretty much, well, he said he stopped and she said she stopped and this is kind of the situation. So I was like, well, it's kind of a draw. And I mentioned to the investigator, oh, well, there was a witness. And he's like, well, there's a witness? <laughs> well, that makes all the difference. Give me his, give me his number. Because otherwise it's just he said, she said, and that's just the situation. Turns out uh, this witness saw that this other driver was at fault and we were able to, um, you know, proceed in our, in our case so much better because there was a witness right? So witness, though, in the spirit means you are going to say what you saw. I saw Jesus do this thing. I've experienced this thing in my life. This is what God has done in my life. I saw Jesus transform me. I mean, you just say what you saw. Describe what happened. Give honor to Jesus. Take his name that's been profaned among the nations and raise it back up. Let God do that by his spirit. Witness in the spirit means that your sails are up, right? You're in your sailboat. Your sails are up. You're ready to catch the wind. And the wind may be a strong wind or just a light flutter. Your spiritual sails might feel a gust or just a tremble, but you trust in the certainty of God, even in the uncertainty of the situation, maybe especially because of the uncertainty in the situation. Jesus, is this the time you want me to speak or to listen? I've known this for years. I was taught it a long time ago that successful witnessing, like how do I know I did a good job? Successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share about Jesus, the King, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you just leave the results to God. You don't worry about those. You can be anxiety free about that. So witness by the Spirit means he's ready to speak and to act and to continue the story through you. The book of Acts that Jesus did by his Spirit through his people continues right now.